Seven Minutes in Hell by Meratricious Lee Read by Literarian Chapter 2 On the Other Side In the first few milliseconds, Aziraphale came to realize that the palm pressed tightly over his lips was burning with a delicious heat that radiated out over his face. The demon leaned toward him in the gloom of the dark closet to murmur, Don't move. Don't speak. Don't make a sound. Don't even breathe hard. Difficult to breathe hard with half your breathing apparatus covered and the air reeking of fake pine scent, the angel wanted to answer. But the tension in the other's body stopped him. He'd rarely ever seen Crowley in such a state of distress, and he knew Crowley never did anything without a reason. It might not be a reasonable reason, and Crowley might not even know his own reason, but he always did have a reason. There were noises outside the door, and the reason became clear. Aziraphale's ears were sharp enough to discern what had put the fear of somebody into Crowley. Somehow and somewhy, Gabriel was in this Aziraphale's most favorite of pups. Crammed against a rough wooden wall, pinned by the weight of the demon's body, their thighs intermingled, Aziraphale did the most reasonable thing he could think of. His hands came up. With as little noise as Crowley would have demanded, he found the doorknob and turned the lock. To understand this, we have to go back and examine. How'd we wind up here? Crowley had come sprinting into the pub up to their regular table and grabbed him by the wrist and... No, further back than that. Practically almost all the way back. A thousand years after he'd managed to misplace a certain weapon with fiery qualities, Aziraphale had gotten curious about how humanity in general was doing, and what they were doing, and why they were doing it. I mean, wasn't this all supposed to be about them? The great war with the souls of all of mankind as the first and last battlefields, both large and small? Sure, but it seemed that, in general, most of the celestial host didn't bother themselves with much of the actual, you know, people. So the angel set out to bother himself with some people. The word angel used to just mean messenger, you may know. And it was easy in those early days to be a messenger and deliver a message that might not otherwise have arrived. Especially if you were so much more swift than the average mortal person on a regular camel. And good news, Aziraphale discovered, was so much more welcome than bad news. Understandable. Everyone wants to be good, if they can be. It's way better to be good than bad, of course. So there was feasting, which was great. And there was drinking, which was wonderful. And there was hospitality. Hospitality was... interesting. Turns out, back in those early days, hospitality overnight in a stranger's home, where you've been the messenger of good news, could occasionally include choosing the private company of one of their young women. Or of their young men, if you wanted that instead. The first time the question was put to him, Aziraphale had to do that whole pausing the world thing to think about it for a moment. Well, he generally thought of himself as a he, and that's certainly how he was dressed and presenting himself, at this time, since it permitted for greater freedom. Adding a details of what would make him a him only took a second's concentration, even on the first attempt. 
The angel tried to look at it logically. Something they were inventing in Greece and also China, although his Mandarin was rusty. Ki bono? Ki malo? Who benefits? Who is harmed? Well, of course Aziraphale would benefit from a learning experience. And the young men and women presented seemed to be agreeable to the situation, casting long looks at his clean clothing and well-kept hands. Who would be harmed? Well, no one on either side could get pregnant or transmit disease, so that was safe enough. And surely there would be introductions first, an exchange of names and perhaps a handshake beforehand. He'd pick it up as he went, like he normally did. Couldn't be more difficult than digestion. Since most male-appearing people in this time seemed to pick female-looking people as romantic partners, he went with the flow. When in locality, do as the locals do. The young woman he chose had a certain something about her, perhaps the way she coyly held her crimson veil, or the look in her brilliant hazel eyes when he smiled down at her. She seemed so kind. So he didn't have to pause the world when they were alone in her bed tent at last to gather the courage and dare to ask how they should go about it all. She said, had he not been with a woman before? Well, at feasts and occasionally on the street, but not in private before, he answered. Not like this. She said, was he sure he didn't want a young man? No, he answered, watching her eyes as she pulled aside the crimson veil and showed that her bound-up hair was burnished bronze. No, I chose you tonight. It's just that you're the first, you see, that I've... She smiled, still kind, but now bemused. She said, even at your age, old enough to be a father or perhaps even a grandfather. Aziraphale felt the sting of indignation. It was true. His presented age was, in this day and age when people mated young and died young or younger, possibly of a time frame that could indicate two generations of progeny. But he was very well preserved and, he thought, shapely in form and approachable in bearing. Am I not pleasing to you? he answered. She said, we shall find out. He told her his name. She told him her name, and he wrote it on a quiet little spot in his soul and never spoke it aloud again after they had parted. It wasn't love. It was due reverence for his first teacher in these arts. She let her clothing fall away. She lay back under the lamplight and indicated all the parts of her body, giving him references for a vocabulary he already possessed. She said, touch here, like this. She said, lick here, suck on this, now bite, gently at first. She said, wet your fingers in your mouth and put them here. His first teacher had a lot of orders, and that was acceptable. Heaven had a lot of orders too, and Aziraphale was learning. He learned that when she made those interesting noises, they were good noises, that he had pleased her even when she cried out with what seemed like pain and he wanted to pull back his hand and she said, stay, 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 stay. That moment was the best of all, she told him later. She took off his clothes. She said, do you know the parts of your own body, Aziraphale? Tell them to me, he answered. She laughed at his order and did it anyway. Then she touched them. Something happened. She kept touching him, kept touching the parts she'd named. 
something else happened that was very interesting. Was that supposed to do what it just did? he asked. She said, you tell me, did it feel good? After some consideration, he answered, yes, it did. She said, sitting comfortably in her own nakedness, smiling with both her mouth and her eyes, would you like to try more? Well, the answer was obvious. She said, it might take a while to be ready again, perhaps even as long as a short nap. Yes, but did they have to wait that long, he answered. She said, not necessarily, it was up to him. Then, Aziraphale surprised her almost as much as what she'd done had surprised him. As the biblical vernacular had it, he came to know his teacher in the fashion that men knew women. Turned out there have always been lots of fashions. She at length declared herself to be quite pleased indeed, and then said that she needed to sleep, but that he could stay in her bed tent if he wanted, and he did. So she lay there and slept, and he lay there and thought. In the morning, when she woke, he kissed her goodbye, as he'd learned that men-shaped people do to women-shaped people of their close acquaintanceship when they separate. She said, when you are in the arms of the person you love, only then will you truly understand what I've showed you. And she kissed him goodbye with great affection and some amount of regret. With great affection and some amount of relief, the messenger went on his way. He'd been honored and fortunate to have a kind teacher, and from there it got much easier, although the lessons varied wildly. Having known a woman, it was easy to say, I have known a woman, and then to do various things he'd learned. That's when he learned to listen. Aziraphale discovered that the human body and the human experience was distressingly non-standard. Some female-shaped people liked things quite differently than his teacher. So he listened to their words, to the noises they made, the way their bodies moved toward him or away as he tried things. He listened to the cries aloud that he tried to elicit. He learned to listen to the silence that might indicate, oh, anything at all, depending on the individual. Centuries passed. The angel met with the demon sometimes and vice versa. Aziraphale, with his new way of listening and learning, saw that Crawley was generally careful to stay an arm's length away from him. The knowledge gave him a touch of sadness, although he didn't understand why. Surely they were beyond the point of actively trying to harm each other. Maybe demons found it more difficult to trust. Having experienced a fair amount of variation in male-female intimacy, Aziraphale then decided, with several years of forethought, to try out being female-shaped for a while. Didn't quite care for it, it turned out eventually. Well, things were a certain way in the early days. In general, women had less freedom of movement and agency. And when it came to interacting with men... Well, it was in general mostly disappointing. Few exceptions. Some were pleasant. Others were a bit horrible until Aziraphale decided minor smiting was called for in order to make a swift exit. Until the Isle of Lesbos. Nobody ever caught on, he thought, but the mention of that island could bring a lopsided little smile to the angel's face, one he could never be coerced to explain. 
It was there that dwelt a group of female-shaped individuals who were as comfortable with each other as his first teacher had been with her own body. It was there that Aziraphale first cried out as she had, and knew that experience of not quite pain she'd felt and later called herself quite pleased. It was intense, almost too intense come to think of it, and his shape never felt quite right. No, it was a good learning experience. What it did was to teach him what he was and was not. When he changed back into his preferred form after about a decade, he was already on the Greek islands. Turns out the Greeks had invented more than logic. Possibly the Chinese and everywhere else had as well, but it was a few more centuries before Xerophil went to look. Now, being familiar with living within a male-shaped body, the angel experimented with other male-shaped people. That was very interesting indeed. And Crowley, the only constancy on earth throughout the millennia, still out of arm's length, no matter where they ate or drank or sat to feed the endless ducks. Eventually, the 19th century arrived. Crowley professed himself to be quite bored and took a nap and missed the whole thing. Wouldn't even wake up long enough to return a letter or make a social call. Aziraphale learned to stop waiting. He had discovered the codex, and now that scrolls could be made in ever so much more transportable form and with such glorious bindings and illustrations, he was reading a lot of them. He'd gotten good at bothering himself with humans, and here, in this day and age, he would find a new group of humans with which to bother. They called themselves Bohemian, and they were, whatever that meant. He found his discreet gentleman's club, and in one of them he learned to gavotte. He found human people that were similar to him, somehow. In one of them he found Oscar Wilde. Wilde was compelling, distressingly so, Aziraphale thought later. His eyes blazed in a challenging intelligence at the angel when they passed in the clubs, like ships in the night. Someone once muttered that he was that Oscar Wilde, the poet, the playwright, the scandal. He sounded very interesting. Aziraphale began what he eventually came to realize was a pursuit, trying to be in the same places as Mr. Wilde, trying to secure copies of his works, failing and then succeeding at tracing down the original, unedited editions reading them in fascination, rereading them filled with emotions for which he had no names. Angels didn't have emotions after all, not like these ones. Trying to get near him enough to talk, even just to introduce himself. They had several special friends in common even. Those friends, when pressed, eagerly promised introductions and invitations that would always strangely fade away days later. This went on for weeks. The angel wondered what he'd done that might have offended. He spent long, dark nights in solitude and thoughtful contemplation. Then at the next party, a Christmas party, amusingly enough, he discovered this was simply one of the very rare times in his existence that he had been so completely outmaneuvered by anyone, much less a human. Oscar was only to be had on Oscar's terms. He thought it was a game like any other game, the day he wound up in the same closet as Oscar Wilde. A game that men played in discreet little clubs. It was a dance like the gavotte, 
touch and turn away. See, the door locks here from the inside, Wilde murmured, his studied baritone such a light voice for so massive a chest. The closet was small and the tall human bent over as felt to fit into it. Something about the tight space made it difficult to breathe. Aziraphale's heart pounded in his chest for the first time in its existence. Why should I do that? The angel laughed nervously over the laughter from the other side of the door, raucous and excited sounds. Does the clothing need occasional privacy? No, but the wearers might, and besides it keeps everyone else from ruining our fun too early. Are we having fun, then? Wilde smiled his closed-mouthed smile and tilted his head. Something trembled in Aziraphale's usually sturdy midsection. The men's eyes were so blue, such a brilliant blue, just as brilliant as his porcelain. We could have any fun you want, he answered. The game is that if someone outside hears us over the clatter they themselves are making, they say that we lose. Oscar studied the look on Aziraphale's face for a long moment in the near darkness, then continued. I say that we can win the game however we like, my dear. You've read all those books that you own, Aziraphale. What say you find out? Mr. Wilde had not been the only one being pursued. Show me, he breathed, and Oscar laughed at the order and did it anyway. So, in the present day, we can understand that just prior to locking the door, Aziraphale's thought was, we cannot be caught in this most compromising of positions together, of course. And immediately after locking the door, Aziraphale's thought was, I know this game. Crowley's hands were on either side of his head, blocking him in. He wasn't so tall as Oscar had been. His was a better height for many things. It was very nearly a perfect height. Aziraphale's right arm knew what came then and wrapped itself around Crowley's waist, keeping him close. His left arm joined him. The demon exhaled slowly, but he didn't fight and he didn't run. Bless Gabriel and his big fat head right outside the door, Aziraphale thought in the privacy of his own soul. Then Crowley, as if testing something, canted his hip inward towards Aziraphale's crotch. The angel instinctively raised his chin, pushing back into the wooden wall. See, past a certain point, if you expect to be using your car keys every day, you put them in your pocket as you're getting ready to leave the house. It just becomes habit. During most of the 19th century, Aziraphale was utilizing his, and or someone else's, genitals on practically a weekly if not daily basis. It had gotten such that he never went out without them, even just to the shops. Not that you'd expect to experiment with your regular greengrocer. It might make later purchases moderately uncomfortable for the both of you, for one thing. But, well, you just never knew what you might get up to. So if Crowley pressed much harder, the keys he wasn't supposed to have were absolutely gonna hurt. He felt Crowley breathe out again, air on his face and the flexing of the demon's ribs. Aziraphale listened with all his might and all his will. He knew this game, his body knew this game, his keys knew this game and were waking up eager to finally play in this millennium. 
he realised two things almost simultaneously. That Crowley also had a growing erection and that he was fucking terrified. The demon's heart was hammering in his chest, not from excitement or arousal, but in fear. The angel was a bit uncertain here. He'd been careful always to play his games and make his experiments with willing participants. The only times there'd been someone unwilling in the process, there'd also been mild smiting to get away from the two willing people. And this was Crowley, a demon among demons, hell's unlikely black knight, not fallen but sauntered, etc., etc. Dark sex appeal for days. Surely he'd done his own experimenting. Oh, somebody. Oh, somebody, no, 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 no. Aziraphale had visions of Crowley's home. The apartment nobody lived in. The bed no one slept in, or did anything else, for that matter. The Porsche of a computer with its manuals still shrink-wrapped. No books, no pets, even an answer phone on his phone line to help keep the entire world at arm's length and not a single whit closer. Oh dear somebody, the only living creatures Crowley'd ever properly touched were his plants. His hand moved as slowly as he'd ever practiced in thousands of years of his games to Crowley's cheek, to caress there as if the demon were some small scared creature to comfort. He realized that he could smell Crowley now, after centuries of getting so used to his scent it barely registered anymore, even over the scent of fake pine chemicals. Not evil, not unpleasant, just him. The sharp line of Crowley's jaw clenched under his fingertips. A moment later he leaned his height forward and pressed his burning brow against Aziraphale's cool forehead. Grayness around them, darkness behind the angel's eyelids burst into white and now he understood. His first teacher then, later Sappho, oh Sappho, who'd said, For whenever I look at you, even briefly, I can no longer say a single thing. But my tongue is frozen in silence. Instantly a delicate flame runs beneath my skin. With my eyes I see nothing. And Aziraphale had laughed and looked away and pretended he had never felt any such feeling. Never. He'd trade the heights of heaven ten times over if he could just go back and apologize to her. He'd known the feeling all too well and couldn't admit it, even to himself. But now no force in heaven, hell or earth could coerce him to let go of what he finally understood. That last lesson. Is this what it is like? To fall? You're mine, he said in every soft movement on his demon's cheek. You're mine, you're mine, you're mine. I didn't realize for so long and I'm sorry for that. But you're mine now and somehow we'll be okay. The kiss, with six thousand years of yearning behind it, was inevitable, and perhaps ineffable. Smooth movement that made no noise. There was not enough of the demon to hold, and not enough surety yet to seek much more. Aziraphale would have to use everything he'd ever learned. The last game paid for all. His hand gripped the slender hip and held it firmly. 
A door closed across the hall from their closet. Gabriel's laugh like nails across a chalkboard, footsteps moving away. But there had to be more, and soon. Aziraphale dared his tongue, and his demon received it as easily as if he'd expected it, experienced it a hundred million times. The depths of his mouth were unworldly hot, tasting like cinnamon and scalding coffee and the dark chocolate that makes your spine tingle. My tongue is frozen in silence. Crowley ground his pelvis reflexively, and Aziraphale moved to hold him, letting go a puff of exhalation that in a better world would have been a laugh of delight. Yes, this, oh my love, my demon, my Crowley, I'll teach you every bit of what every human taught me, and you'll love it, and I'll love you with it, every centimeter of you with it. I can't wait, let the world end, and we'll make love on its ashes. More, more. He knew he should be going slower, but no one ever knew how long the game would last. Someone else always eventually wanted the closet, and Aziraphale was always left wanting something, something additional perhaps, even with Oscar. His other hand inside the jacket, sliding up the shirt, wishing he dared to untuck it, not daring, not yet. Nuzzling up along his demon's jaw and cheek, resting against his temple in an ecstasy of discovery. This is how they feel, all these little parts of you. I've gazed on them for six thousand years and never knew. Crowley swallowed hard. Aziraphale felt his Adam's apple rise and fall and smiled. His pulse was just barely beginning to even out, perhaps to transition to something excited and pleasured. Then his demon bent, seized his lapel and bit it desperately. The angel was gripped in a sudden fist of lust. Yes, oh somebody, yes. If you've never been romanced, seduced, loved, then perhaps you've never been hurt in those particular ways. Perhaps sex was never used on you as a weapon or punishment. Perhaps even hell can be prudish. Perhaps even demons knew you were not theirs to touch. And sweetness could have its own spice beneath it. The bard said it himself. I must be cruel only to be kind. Azarafel wielded that specific scourge now, moving with kisses excruciatingly slowly down the straining cords of Crowley's throat. I'm here, and I'm doing this to you. I'm here. I'm touching you. I'm here. I'm loving you. I want to love all of you. Aziraphale let himself shoot the moon. He slid his hand down his demon's tensed thigh and found the part that yielded to him. Mine! It was a shock to Crowley's system. His whole body bucked and his fists closed in Aziraphale's hair reflexively. The angel held completely still. So did the demon, listening for noises. But the angel held still to reaccustom his demon to the sensation, to let him incorporate what he felt and what it meant, to let him accept the tenderness he'd never had before. Then Aziraphale exhaled slow, breath puffing across Crowley's collarbone, exposed where his kisses had pushed the shirt collar aside. 
He found his demon began breathing in tandem and exhaled another sigh, that of relief. So many times these corporeal bodies had a basic programming and knew what to do if you just let them. This matched breathing would begin to calm him down. If it continued unabated for long enough, Crowley might relax entirely. So, time to take him back up again. Crowley's cock was weight against his palm. He squeezed it gently and listened, then increased the pressure to the flex of all his demon's other muscles, speaking the silence. More and more, measuring its length against his extended hand, stroking flesh that was feeling it for the first time. I can give this to you. I'm so glad I can show you this. His demon trembled and twitched. The mop handle that had been resting against his back slid off and crashed against the wall behind Aziraphale. Thanks somebody that Gabriel had been gone minutes past. They would have lost the game. Crowley moved with purpose a moment later to press a kiss to Aziraphale's ear. The angel nodded. Yes, I like it. Fingers dipped and swirled. Do more and I'll do more. Crowley kissed his way to the angel's mouth as if it had been his own idea, hips moving as guilelessly as any naive thing would, confronting pleasure for the first time. The seconds were counting down and Aziraphale was never more aware of it than right now. What was left in the game? How much further could they go? Could he bring him off in the time allotted, in this frozen silence that threatened to choke them both? For it was in both of them now, though no one had yet touched Aziraphale's aching cock. His focus was so much so on his lover and his arousal, so pitched he felt his own climax coming if he let it, if he could get them both there. Not without you, my demon love, he vowed, not ever again. A sudden knock on the broom closet door, thunderously loud. Then a person outside twisted the doorknob only to find it locked. Aziraphale laughed. He had to, or else he'd cry. Heaven finds means to kill your joys with love. Five more minutes, he sang viciously. Give me thirty seconds and I'll have enough. We'll both have enough. But no, they'd finally lost the game. Make it two, the outsider grumbled. We have a technicolor yawn in the terrace. Needs dealing with. Aziraphale withdrew his hands from the sensual heat of Crowley's body, seeking composure. What? Crowley managed a few seconds later, groggy with denied pleasure, voice barely a murmur. Somebody vomited at the upstairs bar, made a beast of themselves, the poor thing. The old voice sounded quite calm. He must be managing magnificently. He brought the light into the understairs closet. The darkness was too close, too dangerous. How... how did you... I know my favorite pups very well, Aziraphale answered, letting love linger in his tone. His view of Crowley's pale, shocked face wavered through the tears he would not permit to fall. I know all the pups who have the special locking closets, like that old club of mine did. Do you know... The angel continued arcly. 
that all my Oscar Wilde first editions are signed? And would his demon know or guess how he'd spent that lonely 19th century, mortifying his body with all types of excess to try to forget how it felt to miss the one that slept so far from his side? In the next moment, the angel had himself back under control. The only sign that something had happened in the closet was the perfect half-circle imprint of Crowley's teeth points on his right lapel. He'd leave them there for a while, a batch to what could not be uttered aloud, not now and maybe not ever, and when he miracled them away, he'd still know they'd been there. Come on, my dear. The my dear that was covered and permitted by every other my dear given. And Aziraphale reached for the doorknob, flipped the lock and pushed it open, gesturing his demon out before him, cleaning up the spilled chemicals with a glance and a quick miracle. Gabriel's been gone ages. Crowley stepped out into the hall and then back. Aziraphale led him to the front door, feeling his demon close enough to reach behind and take his hand, but not ever daring. Some day you will be done with the closet games, he thought as they emerged into the sunset glow. I should have woken you like sleeping beauty with kisses and never let you sleep another instant without you beside me. Some day, my love, I'll teach you everything the humans ever taught me and learn it back from you anew. <laughs>